Welcome to Afrotexture, a weekly podcast by students at the University of California, Los Angeles, that looks at buildings and cities created throughout Africa and thinks about the past, present, and future of the built environment on the continent. Today's episode looks at Husuni Kupa in Tanzania. It was created by S. Brown, Mary Cooper Wallen, Luz, and Maritza Lopez. They'll take it from here. Hello, we are a group of four undergraduate students coming to you today from University of California, Los Angeles. Thanks to our Architecture and Urbanism in Africa course, we are pleased and excited to share the history of Husuni Kubwa, as well as the challenges of preserving the remnants of this amazing historical structure located on the island region of Kewa Kiswani, located on East Africa coast of Tanzania. Let's cover and dive into Husuni Kubwa architecture, including the palace itself, relevance to trade, and preservation issues. We would like to apologize in advance if we happen to mispronounce names, locations, or regions of Husuni Kubwa. In today's discussion, we have Mary, Maritza, and myself, Luz. We'll be discussing connections between the Kilwa Island coastal community and the rest of the world, thinking about what the present influences are at the location and how we're able to see the original works presented today. I'd like to let you know how excited I am about some recent scholarship regarding preservation and really looking at a more sustainable model that will allow local residents to benefit from attention that's being brought to World Heritage Site. But we'll get back to that. Husuni Kubwa was built under the direction of Sultan Al-Husan bin Suleiman, who wanted to declare his sultanate ability. Our research chair shared with us the ancient city of Kilwa, Kiswani, was a great force served as both a palace of the sultan and as an emporium storehouse. It consists of three major sections, a resident complex containing over 100 rooms, a southern court meant for trade, and a stairway leading to the mosque located near the shore of Indian Ocean. It is a rich culture. Its whole basis came from trade and the trademarks of ivory and gold, other times which are influential from China, Iran, and Islamic architecture. In the mid-14th century, Kilwa Kiswani became a regional center for trade. This powerful city-state located on the east coast of East Africa built ports and maritime trade routes in order to exchange really vast international goods such as fabrics and jewelry from India, porcelain, glass beads, and coins from the far reaches of China. What are other influence of trade found through this region? Besides the artifacts previously mentioned, author John Baptiste Bacquart discusses how these artistic dolls called Moana Hiti were found in this region of Tanzania in different styles. He writes that there were two different styles, a naturalistic and an abstract style. The naturalistic style was mostly influenced by the trade with Malaysia, whereas the abstract style was probably more indigenous. Due to this location being the first port reached coming from the south, it was an important stop and valuable hub for traders. The structure provides one with the insight into architectural tradition and building processes of this African region. Even though the palace was not occupied for very long, and it was not until recently that studies Studies were conducted on the structure. Thick vegetation has eroded the Great Fort significantly. Lewis, how about providing a little more detail about the intimacy gradient of Husuni Kubwa? Traders and merchants across from the Indian Ocean 
would stay at Husuni Kubwa's depot. This was a semi-public and private space used to greet guests and merchants who traveled across the sea to exchange these goods. These merchants would stay in these homes as they waited for the wind change. Thus, this established a social system that not only helped strengthen economic ties, but it also encouraged cultural exchange between those who traveled to the islands and those who were its residents. Right, there was that aspect of dealing with the traveling restrictions because of monsoon season. Due to this location being the first port reached coming from the south, it was an important stop and valuable hub for traders. The structure provides one with the insight into architectural tradition and building processes of this African region. Even though the palace was not occupied for very long, and it was not not until recently that studies were conducted on the structure. Thick vegetation has eroded the Great Fort significantly. According to archaeologist Chittick, there are two main structures on this island, and these two structures are differentiated by title. According to him, the larger and more westerly of the building is now called Kusuni Kubwa, the Great Fort, and the other, Kusuni Dogo, is the small fort. Husini Kubwa was built on a cliff, so not only was that physical geography part of a protection system, being built on an island also helped to preserve it from threats of people coming from the mainland. So prior to the construction of the Great Fort in the 14th century, in the late 8th and early 9th centuries, the city of Kilwakaswani started out as a small town linked ideologically to other coastal settlements, which all shared the similar tradition of utilizing local and imported materials. In later centuries, Kilwa grew into one of the most important settlements along the East African coast. We see this due to the mintage of coins that were located at this site. According to archaeologist Garlic, he argues a lot of how difficult it was to give a date for each object or artifacts, um, especially like Chinese pottery found, Islamic architecture influences. There wasn't sufficient evidence to say what dates each objects came from because coinage or the coins only had the sultan's name on it and the material it was used. But it was even harder for art historians to really specify where exactly these items came from. These sites are carriers of cultural knowledge and identity. The architecture conveys the technology and knowledge of the time that was included, manifested in the building of Husini Kubwa. So there's the spiritual and religious sites and the mosques, and they need to be respected. Preserving these requires a community effort, it requires a global effort, and puts the responsibility onto cultural management site and include benefits to locals and world cultural travelers. The employment and income value to local residents, potential improvements to their infrastructure, allow them to maintain these sites in the best way possible and allow visitors to enjoy them as well. The community was not benefiting from financial income that was coming in from visitors and tourists, they had to resort to taking stones from this historical architecture and using them in their own homes because they had no other resources in order to do this. One of the other aspects that is affecting the site is that people are letting their livestock graze on the land. 
this is not helping the preservation effort either. So options to consider in order to help preserve the site and make it beneficial for local residents would be to create employment because then the local people become part of this protection. Also, finding other sites where their building materials could come from so that it does not result in destruction of this historical artifact and looking for other grazing land so that their livestock can eat without causing damage to this particular historical site. One of the ways that they dealt with trying to preserve the architecture on these sites was to simply put a fence around it. And the problem with that is that then the locals to whom these sites mean so much and have so much cultural value and are associated with their identity, they were no longer given access. And that's not really a reasonable way to manage these sites. It's not going to give us a sustainable model. If we can find a model that has them invested in protecting these sites as well because they're culturally meaningful and also because they generate some income, elevate socioeconomic standards, plus improve local infrastructure, everybody's desire for preservation in a culturally meaningful way and a way that brings awareness to the whole global community. And as we know, cultural tourism is definitely on the rise. So having Husuni Kuba be the gold standard model, I think would be great. Yeah, and it's really interesting you brought that up because this whole course or the theme is understanding the preservation identity and also the structure of the community it was built from. The structure or material use was the coral ragstone, and you were talking about how the whole location was going to be fenced. No one was able to have that accessibility of the of Husuni Kumbwa, even the natives who live there, have access to recreate a new home. And the difficult part is that we mentioned in class like the whole theme of colonization, people bringing in their infrastructure and sharing or enforcing their architecture into natives. And I believe natives who live in Husuni Kumba were not credited enough about their architecture. It was taken away from them as in saying like none of it was made from natives from Husuni Kumba, but the material was coral ragstone, which is found at their site. So this is something that definitely should be emphasized as in the space taken away and space being given. What you're reminding me of is how the colonialist view at the time when they first saw this structure did not believe that it could have been created by the local population. There's no way to deny that these are local materials but they did not believe that the local residents could have possibly created such a monumentally beautiful structure. Are there any clues as to what locally made art at Husuni Kubwa look like? The local pottery at Husuni Kubwa was mostly made out of this decorated applied material with ridges and ornamentations with incisions. We're informed about Husini Kubwa's role as a host because of the recovery of artifacts such as ceramic, pottery, and coins. Also, in the architecture, we see there is a fusion of Islamic motifs and architectural designs from across the Islamic world. Also, I'd like to take this time to somewhat ask for a call to action that as 
not only in our case, college students, but supporting global tourism. This knowledge that we have all gained about the value, the cultural heritage that lies within the structure of Husini Kupwa really sets a great example for us all to look at all of these amazing UNESCO heritage sites around the world. Let's look, if we can, to find ways to not only learn from them, but to support the local communities to whom these monuments still today mean so much. Thank you for listening. Today's episode was created in fall 2019 by S. Brown, Mary Cooper Wallen, Luce, and Maritza Lopez. Our theme song is by Rebecca Taylor. Special thanks to Tom Garbalotti and Andrew Jessup at UCLA Humanities Technology, or HumTech. If you'd like to let us know your thoughts, you can find us on Instagram or Twitter at AfritecturePod. That's A-F-R-I-T-E-C-H-T-U-R-E-P-O-D with no spaces. I'm Lauren Taylor. We'll see you next week.